Welcome to the Happy in the Mess podcast. We are your hosts, Marlena, Sherry, and Matthew. We are therapists and coaches, and we want to share our own stories with you, as well as the wisdom, insights, and tips we've learned along the way. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. Welcome to another episode of Happy in the Mess. Uh, I am Matthew, and I'm hosting two amazing coaches today who are going to help us talk about how to have the hard conversations with people. Ask for that raise, tell your partner how much they're chewing really annoys you, uh, <laughs> let your coworker know they have the toilet paper on the back of their shoe, any of these difficult conversations. So kind of running the spectrum of things there. Um, and to help with that, uh, we have Sherry and Marlena who are going to give us their incredible wisdom uh, to help us with that. So if you think this is something that you want, if it's somebody you uh, know would benefit from this, please don't hesitate to like, share, subscribe to this, give us your feedback. All that stuff helps the the energy of the podcast individually, but also the, the podcast itself. So before we get started, though, uh, we want to start and just know where we can find these two awesome coaches. So Sherry, what are you up to these days? Where can people find you? Uh, the best place to find me if you want to hang out with me is in my Facebook community. It's called Date Night Community. And uh, of course, you can always find my stuff on SherryTimco.com. Awesome. So, Marlena, how about you? You can find me at CoachMarlena.com. Get some free meditations or book a consult call if you're interested in doing some work around uh, not dating with desperation. Not dating with desperation. So, mm-hmm. excellent. And I always appreciate the t- the book ends of wisdom that you you both bring on relationships and picking this topic. I was really excited to uh, just see what's going on. So for that, I'm Matthew. I'm at MatthewEMorgan.com. Um, I work with neurodivergent misfits, people who are struggling with faith and their faith communities, how to fit in there, um, how to fit in with other people and fit in isn't in huge quotes here because it's also how to embrace ourselves and just enjoy the misfit that we are. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that brings up hard conversations. So as I talked about in the intro, there's, there's any number of range of, of difficult conversations, but for, for you two, what do you think of when you think of, um, having these hard conversations with a a coworker, boss, significant other, friend, whatever it may be? What do I think of them or? Well, what are some examples? What are some examples that we've seen? Like, what have you helped people with on on hard conversations? Uh, I think that that is all of our work. I mean, they're having hard conversations with us. They're having hard conversations. We're preparing them to have hard conversations. Um, I've worked with clients that that was the very reason that they were working with me if they were having trouble having hard conversations and then I've worked with lots of other clients who didn't identify that as a core issue but that was what was what they were struggling with was having hard conversations with a partner mostly partners with me but also with kids with bosses with neighbors with friends you name it it's hard to talk to people when it comes to really being vulnerable and saying what you want and need. Yeah, I will second that. I think, I, and this is something we do all day. I do this all day long is actually coach and teach people how to have difficult conversations with their loved ones. Usually the, I find that most common is how to have a hard conversation with someone that you don't want to risk losing the relationship or having any kind of fallout. 
And so it's really delicate or it feels that way. And so the, the stakes feel higher in those. And so I end up coaching a lot of like single people, especially when it comes to talking to the person they're dating, saying something they don't like or need changed or, or want to see changed or fixed. Or a lot of times too, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm not surprised, but how many times I get children who need to talk, like adult children who want to talk to their parents about something. Absolutely. So the, the two elements that I really caught out of both of these, number one is our own vulnerability as a sender of this communication. So that, I imagine that's going to come up a lot in people where like they, they worry about themselves, how this comes across, what this does for the other person. Um, so there's that vulnerability of that, but also there's a, and that vulnerability comes from the fact that this is still an attachment. It's not somebody that you know, we can have a, a random conversation with and think that it's going to go away. Um, you know, I was use the reference a lot of times of The Simpsons where, you know, every episode is disjointed from the next one. And, you know, there's almost a reset between that. Um, mm-hmm. But this is more of an, an ongoing episode where the repercussions of one moment can repeat and go on there. So... Mm-hmm. So having these conversations, then that that's where that difficulty comes from. It's that juxtaposition of those two things. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. what are what are some of the advantages of? Uh, because obviously, that the decision at this point is: do we have these conversations, or do we just stuff it inside, um, you know, and, and hold on to it? So, what are maybe some of the advantages or drawbacks of having having these conversations versus just ignoring them? Well, I talked to a lot of clients about like, what is the goal here? What is your personal goal in having this conversation? And usually it boils down to one of three things. Is it about saving the relationship? You want to like improve the existing relationship. Is the objective your most important thing? Like I really need those dishes washed and that's most important. I don't care about the relationship so much. Or is it your self-respect that you feel like that there's something going on that you need to do for your own respect and integrity. And so when we kind of narrow down and they're all important. So like if, uh, you know, you want to send your food back because it wasn't great, you know, just seeing the waiter is not going to be so great for your objective because then they might fit in it. So the relationship there is important, although it's still a little more low risk. So, but still evaluating like which of these three, three things are most important versus determining that priority. And this comes out of dialectical behavior therapy. Is it the the objective, your self-respect or relationship? And when we can narrow down those, you know, not that the other two aren't important, we just kind of clarify first so that we can know what the approach ought to be or start to be. Yeah. I love that framework. That's really Mm -hmm. clear. Well, most of my clients are in long-term relationships and I'm trying to help them improve those long-term relationships. So, the, commun- the discussions really happen on two different levels. One is on the functional level where they need to solve a problem. Um, and I help them identif- talk about what the problem is more than talk about what their ideal solution is. Now, it's good if you know what you want and need, but it's not a conversation if you go to your spouse and you say, this is what I want and need, and it is a dictate. And a lot of times that's what that sounds like. Um, So helping them identify what that problem is behind that so that they can come up with a mutually agreeable solution. But the other part of hard conversations is really knowing each other deeply and creating a sacred space in the relationship where they can show up as who they are 
and their partner can be caring and accepting, maybe not love everything that they share, but it's an honest space. Uh, the problem with couples is just because you don't talk about it doesn't mean that your partner isn't thinking about it or wrestling with it. And so not talking about it just means that you don't know. And so creating that safety where you can talk about whatever needs to be talked about. Uh, and those are often very hard conversations um, where you have to suspend your judgment and be on your partner's side so that you can hear that hard thing and, and really try and come to a mutually agreeable way of moving forward. Mm-hmm. And by the time people come and want to talk about having a hard conversation with someone, it's usually not this, to echo what Sherry said the first time they thought of this, or, you know, this, this has probably been an ongoing issue. And so the disadvantage of not having it is that that loop will continue to go on in your head and, and start to block your ability to have relationships or block, it might be a resentment that just keeps growing and that creates distance, or it just might be an ongoing issue that, that inhibits int- intimacy regardless of the relationship. Yeah, when you don't talk about stuff, it also becomes an echo chamber where you hear yourself thinking that so it seems more likely to be true, but then you hear yourself thinking it, which reinforces the <laughs> truthfulness to it. And so if you don't have conversations with other people, you get more and more certain that your way of thinking about it and looking at things is the truth. And I would say that's a path to sickness. I know that I'm not doing well when I'm starting having conversations with people not there because, you know, like having a repetitive conversation in the shower in my head or what have you. It's because it hasn't gotten out of my head. And then I get in a loop, almost obsessive thinking around it. And it becomes almost, it becomes almost like emotionally sick in a sense. I hate to label it like that, but just, I know I'm not doing well emotionally when I start having that process happen. It means it hasn't gotten out of my head and into reality. I haven't dealt with it. So Matthew, speak on this, because I would imagine that with highly sensitive, they need that repetitive thinking in order to prepare them for it. it absolutely. I appreciate the, the reflection of the question here, because uh, I was thinking as the two of you are talking, uh, my, my highly sensitives, um, even my ADHDers, a lot of ND people, like this is a, a big struggle. Um, from, for my highly sensitives, I, I use a finger analogy uh, for those on video, you'll catch this for those that don't. Um, the, I, I would say like, we are this index finger here sticking up. And then I, I put my palm up behind it with my fingers outstretched. And this is that the highly sensitive brain creates all of these extra realities based on possible information, possible decisions that are made. Um, so the, the, the conversation with a spouse, like, We've already thought about it. We've already thought about what's what could happen. Um, and particularly if we get stuck in one of those fingers, that becomes the main focus of that reality. And then it branches off from there and, and goes on. I don't have enough hands to do this analogy. Um, and the, the, the term that Marlena used with the echo chamber that resonates, uh, no pun intended, resonates really well with me uh, because that, especially the highly sensitive brain, it becomes that until we speak it out and have some of these conversations and and sherry i think what you were saying earlier about we really need to get these things out we need to talk to our spouses when we're comfortable and to understand that Um, that really kind of becomes a key there Mm -hmm. so really neat thing about 
having hard conversations, talking things out with another person is that that other person can become like a mirror. Like if they are able to just kind of hear you, then as you talk, most people start to understand what they need and what they're thinking better than if they just have that conversation in their head. Absolutely. What, what really stood out to me um, when you were talking, Sherry, there, there's a, a, that echo chamber of some of the past wisdom. Um, and, and I remember working for corporations um, and I've, I've heard this from parents too, of look, if you don't have a solution, don't talk about the problem. Don't bring it unless you've already had a solution to this. Um, and, and that little, you know, memory flickered up here, Sherry, because what you were saying was, was almost the complete opposite was, don't come with a solution, come with that description of the problem. Uh, Marlena, you referenced that as well with, you know, like what, what am I trying to solve here? You know, if we don't mm -hmm. describe what our problem is first, then is it that we get up to this echo chamber again, or is there a different problem this with is, this approach? This is one of those things that really bothers me because I've done this wrong for so many years. Um, as a therapist, now as a coach, um, we're taught to teach our clients to tell, tell others what we need. And the thought behind it is that they can't read our minds, so we need to tell them what we need. And this really backfires in couples because what they end up doing is they come and say, this is what I need. And their partner has really two options at that point. They can either say, all right, that's something I can do. And sometimes that means that they're complying with something. They feel like a robot. The other option is that they can say, no, that's not something I can do. And then they leave their partner feeling disappointed and lonely and possibly resentful. And the solution to that is they actually need to bring the problem so that they can have a productive problem-solving conversation. But instead of saying, I need you to call me at the end of the day, say, I need some more information about the flow of your day so that I can plan my evening as well. And then you may still get to that the partner would say, well, I'll just call you at the end of the day. But it's then an option. They could say, you know what, I'll call you at lunch or I'll text you at lunch and tell you what the rest of my day is going to look like. Or I'll call you if I'm going to be later than 15 minutes late or something. But there's like all these different options to solve it. So I get the idea that don't bring a problem unless you've already thought about it and you have some ideas about how to solve it. But this idea that we're supposed to come and dictate to other people how they're supposed to meet our needs really is out of sync with having a relationship that meets both person, both, both partners' needs. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So so it, it what you're describing is almost rather than maybe bullying somebody bullying you know or forcing somebody into a solution you know it, it when you come with that description of the problem it might reinforce but it does so in a willing fashion my my odd sense is always one of those that you know i always think like i could be in there winding up to do the dishes and my wife says hey can you do the dishes i'm like well no i'm not going to do the dishes because you know you told me to um full transparency uh so <laughs> You know, I, you're I not the only one. I, I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> I'm not here, but but the you know it doesn't force us into that position. It, it it I think it really feels like that with that vulnerability we come together with it. 
there's an invisible line I've never been able to um, articulate or identify that once I cross that line, I have asked my husband to do it too many times and he will never do it. Mm. And I, I don't know where that line is, but I know when I'm over it. You, you know when you hit it. <laughs> Done. <laughs> I mean, it's so true. I really appreciate Sherry's viewpoint. And that's um, somewhat new to me too, to like come with a problem and let the couple innovate or let the the two come together to innovate on that. And Sometimes I do think it's um, maybe not necessarily in a couple situation, but maybe there too, in other situations to ask specifically for something like if you're asking for a raise because you've been there so long and you're always on time and your productivity is high, it's entirely appropriate to not come to your boss and say, I have this. I mean, you can start that way. I have this problem. I don't feel valued here when I'm doing X, Y, and Z. And then it would be appropriate to follow that up with, and I'd like to be considered for a raise you know, and, and asking specifically for the thing. I think there's a lot of value and integrity in doing that and being able to ask for what you need in situations um, when you feel like you've merited it or something's really bothering you. I think that's entirely okay. Um, and sometimes really needed so that you can make a more informed decision about should I stay or should I go? I mean, in, in a case like that, when I'm talking about a raise, for example. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that almost points more towards boundaries. Like, mm -hmm. this is my line, this has to be met, and and it only can be met in this way. And there's definitely a place for boundaries. And having a, a discussion with an employer about, it, you know, getting a raise really is about, here's my line in the sand, I need to meet this, this criteria in order to continue in this relationship of this employment. So mm -hmm. it's not... I think it's it has to do with how, like, are you building the relationship? Are you trying to establish boundaries in the relationship? Um, are you trying to come up with mutually agreeable things? Or is this kind of a one-way thing where I'm like, okay, this is what I need. This is my boundary. Exactly. And this comes back to what is it? what's most important here, the objective the goal, I mean, the goal or the objective, the relationship or your self-respect. I actually coached a client through this one time, this raise thing. And we talked a long time about it before this person ever brought it up to their employer because they needed to think about, well, I don't want to tank the really, I don't have another job lined up yet. I want to ask for a raise, but I don't want to tank this relationship. So it was, how do we, how do you respectfully have that conversation? And for this person, it was really important to have another option in the back, like a viable option ready to go so that this person could say, okay, if you, if I really can't grow here and there is no promotion potential, I'm, I'm going to take this not necessarily as a bargaining chip, just as a, okay, if you can't meet me, I'm going to walk. And the employer couldn't meet them and they walked and um, the relationship was severed, but they didn't feel bad about it. I mean, we did a lot of prep work to get there. Absolutely. The, the, the meatloaf moment of a relationship, right? Where we can do anything for love, but we won't do that. Um, you know, it's like, <laughs> like that, that boundary, you know, me perpetual soundtrack going on in my head here. Um, but, and I love, yeah. go, ahead, go ahead. Well, and to be fair, in all the prep work we did also was how could this person be the, the best employee to come to the table with true evidence? Like this person felt for their own self-respect, they needed to show up more on time be more productive, more efficient. They're like, if I can do so many months of this, I've already been here so long, I've done great work, but I'm going to like 
really excel. And then I'm going to come to the table and ask for that raise. And that was a wonderful process for this person. Really, they showed themselves to be um, dedicated, committed to their own goals, like did exactly what they said, came to the table with that information. I was so proud of this client for doing all of this work and being able to have a conversation. And I know this person felt really good about themselves when they finally sat down at the table and had the conversation. That's awesome. And, and I think, uh, and I always end up back in the same point of, you know, we, we love to give these principles, we love to give these ideas behind it. But the fact is, as human beings, we are such complicated machines, and we have such a wide range of relationships that having a coach or having a counselor who can walk through these things. And Marlena, I just, I, I love that idea. And Sherry, same for you. Like you sit down with couples, you work through this. Marlena, you're talking with people. How do we flesh out all these little details. Um, and, and like you said, with the echo chamber, if we keep bouncing back and forth, it, it just strikes me like we don't get anywhere. Mm-hmm. But once we start fleshing out all these little things, what can we do? What, you know, can we provide some introspection for ourselves here too? You know, am mm-hmm. I really bringing my best to the, to the table or bringing something good to the table? I, I want to do best because that, that has a perfection ring to it that I don't like necessarily. <laughs> So, mm-hmm. so if we have these conversations, really, there's that potential to grow, to get closer. Um, even in the case of the, the this person that asked for a raise, they they still grew. Um, mm-hmm. That relationship may have not severed, but but somebody else is also going to step into that position and you know potentially grow into it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we think of conflict as a bad thing, and I know in couples, conflict is an opportunity for them to grow as a couple. Um, and I, I think if you only think of it as a negative thing, then you avoid it and you make excuses and try to fix it yourself and you miss that opportunity for growth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And sometimes you don't, you'll never get your needs met if you don't ask either. Sometimes you, you, I mean, maybe not as directly as Sherry was saying, there's other ways to go about that, but most people are left wondering, or the people that I talk to that are still in dating relationships don't actually know if their needs can get met because they haven't actually broached the topic yet. And so it's just helping clients get the courage to then have the conversation in a way that they feel good about so that they allow the other person to meet them or not. I mean, I've had many clients pleasantly surprised that when they bring up something, the other partner is completely on board with just, it just wasn't talked about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I have to bring that up. And so mm-hmm. what are, uh, maybe we just kind of drive this home here a little bit. What are some maybe real concrete ways that we can uh, negotiate these, these differences um, and be able to have these hard conversations and set us up? We can't obviously guarantee success. Um, you know, that, that would be maybe irresponsible for us. But what, what are the ways we can best set up for a successful conflict? Um, or a hard conversation? Well, I love the Dear Man scripts in DBT, and I'll just describe it really quick. The first one is just describe the problem without fluff and without bringing up the past. You are not putting away the dishes at night or, um, you know, yeah, you're always on your phone when I come home from work. Whatever, just really succinctly, not like, uh, not you're always, never don't use always and never, sorry. You're often on your phone when I, or you were on your phone yesterday. In fact, it's even nice to just to bring it up something really recent and not drag in the past and stop using the words always and never. And then you describe how you feel 
um, express your feelings. I feel sad. I feel not seen. I feel hurt that you're, I feel angry, whatever. When you're on your phone, when I come home from work, very, very simple. And, um, and then you ask what you need. I would like some quality time in the form of having dinner together when I come home from, I mean, just very simple. And then, um, you know, you'd be mindful about your tone. So no accusatory, no passive aggressiveness, simple and direct, straightforward. Um, and you're willing to negotiate part of the dear man. I'm not saying all of the acronyms because it would take too long, but the other one is like, how do you think you invite the other person into the problem solving? Like, how would you like to help solve this problem? And then you say why you want to do it. You know, I would feel closer to you if we had more quality time, you know, simple. And it doesn't have to be complicated. In fact, I actually have clients like write down the script, like describe the problem, express your feelings, very simply be mindful of your tone, ask for what you need, invite them in to help you solve it and tell them why it's important. Done. It's really simple and it often works quite well. Yep. Those are really great. And I'm going to say exactly the same thing, just in different <laughs> words, because I think sometimes one way will resonate with, with mm -hmm. one person and I've I will say it again so it resonates with every, you know, we hit everybody. Uh, the first is to really think about what it is that you want and need out of that situation. Uh, the next is to pick a good time. It is not useful to throw a problem into the middle of an argument and assume that your partner is going to be able to hear you or respond to that. <clears throat> you actually solve problems best when you guys are relaxed and at, you know, at ease with each other. And well-fed. I have heard that many couple arguments stop when they're not, not when one or both parties are hungry. Not well-fed. Hungry or in pain. I mean, yeah. these are real things that will derail any conversation. Um, the next is to keep the conversation really short. Like a 10-minute conversation is sufficient. You are going to get the feedback that you need. Your partner might need some time to think about what it is that you said. Uh, so just really trying to keep that short. You don't want to drag it on and on. A 3 a.m. marathon conversation will never lead to a good result. Yep. Uh, now, this is one of the really un, unfair, uh, disliked I, um, pieces of advice to talk about the problem more often. Have shorter, more often conversations. So talk about it for 10 minutes and then a week later, check in and be like, hey, we talked about this last week. I just want to see if you had any more thoughts about that or how this is going and how we decided to solve this. And then make your discussion about just one thing at a time. Kitchen sinking, it does not work. If you pile on five different problems, your partner is going to get overwhelmed. You're not going to remember what it is you're, you're trying to solve and it will just derail the conversation. And then in the conversation, don't use blame. Like Marlena mm -hmm. said, talk about it from your own perspective. I feel this when this happens. This is my reaction. This it doesn't really say anything about your contribution to it, just that this is what happens when that happens. And the last is honest and kind. Be honest, but also be kind. Let your partner still, un like you want them to still understand that you care about them. So mm -hmm. I think that I'm talking about this in terms of couples, but this applies in so many other situations. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. When you bring your higher self to the table, you're more at likely to access their higher self and the conversation is just going to be more productive that way. 
but sometimes it just requires some like your own prep work with your therapist, your coach, meditation, whatever it is that you do to get into that space so that you can come at it. Like I usually don't, when I'm really heated about something, I will take a beat. I'll go on a walk. I'll pray. I'll meditate, whatever I need to do to calm down. Cause I don't want to come to a conversation heated, but I can't control what I'm going to say. And we actually know the parts of the brain shut down when you're really angry. So you're not functioning super well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you're emotionally flooded. So Gottman says the research by Gottman says that you can put someone on a heart monitor and you will know when they're emotionally flooded. Uh, when your heart rate hits a hundred beats per minute, mm. that part of your brain that can think logically is offline. And once that happens, it is very, very hard to bring a derailed conversation back on track. So that's when you need to take a break and calm down, like bring your physiology down. And that doesn't mean going off and thinking of your next best line. That means actually calming down. Yeah, absolutely. We use um, the, the pause analogy as gamers in my family. And I use this with clients as well. Um, and I even uh, a lot of times, a lot of finger gestures today, but you know, I'll even put the two index fingers up next to each other um, to kind of look like that pause sign, that universal one. Um, and because like you're both saying, as we get flooded emotionally, as things start to to build up, our words become fewer, much less productive. Um, and so by instituting the pause, um, some some couples will use timeout, but to me, timeout always had a punitive feeling to it, uh, being an ADHD child, that was uh, my parents' chosen method because you uh, stick an ADHD kid in the corner for five minutes and the world is over. Um, so like, I've never liked the timeout, but the pause worked really well. Um, and it and it gives us that moment, exactly what you both said, we need to regulate, come, come back down so that we can come back to this conversation with uh, with our needs in mind and, and our partner or the other person's needs in mind as well. So, mm -hmm. um, so I appreciate both of you. I mean, that's just an immense amount of wisdom in there. Just how do we have these conversations? And you, you've given that to our listeners, but I think obviously they can, you know, be encouraged to, to reach out to one of you, one of us, um, reach out to their own uh, support system as well, um, just to kind of reflect on this. But with the idea of like, how do we have these hard conversations rather than just letting them button up? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah. go ahead. Well, I was going to say, um, I've had a lot of clients really struggle with either not saying anything at all or completely exploding. And mm -hmm. like, uh, I, I had to do a lot of my own work on this on how do I actually come to the middle? Like, I don't have to be silent and I don't have to explode. You know, I don't have to go to those extremes anymore. And getting out of the extremes has been a work in progress. Anyway, very grateful to all my previous therapists and coaches. <laughs> Absolutely. It's work. And, and what you're saying, this is not natural for us. It's not a, an ingrained thing that we're born with. Uh, it's a skill that we learn. Um, mm -hmm. So in this process. So. It also depends a lot on the modeling that we have as kids. Mm -hmm. um, I know I grew up in a family where they wouldn't talk about problems and then it would explode. Um, and when I tried that with my husband, he walked away and I was devastated until he came back and was ready to talk about it. And I was like, wait, what is this? Mm -hmm. You mean we don't have to argue? We could just like calm down and talk about it. And it was a pivotal moment in my life of realizing that the way that I was raised wasn't really very help healthy. Mm -hmm. 
the, the number of clients that have used the expression seen and not heard, um, particularly my sensitive clients, um, because that's a, a thing that sticks with them. Um, it, it, that, that statistic is frightening. Um, how many of them can identify really, I, mean, I think it boils down to the Dr. Spock generation and beyond, you know, not the, not the Vulcan, but the other one uh, that, that caused a lot of, a lot of problems. And, and Sherry, absolutely. Like how were we raised? You know, if we're raised seen and not heard, but we really feel like we need to be both seen and heard, it does create kind of the explosion. Well, we actually all deserve to be seen and heard. It isn't really a, if we need it, it is when we need it. When we need it. Appreciate that. Absolutely. So, mm -hmm. so wrap up today, closing words of wisdom, uh, just of these, I mean, it's just been a gold mine today of, of, you know, clips and quotes and some great information, but uh, for, for both of you, what are your, your take homes for people today? I just want to say that it's okay to have these. I mean, it's okay if you don't know how to have them. Most people aren't taught how to enter into conflict in a healthy way. And so not beating up on yourself if it's not happening, but also not ignoring the fact that you might be ignoring things. Um, and that this is when a really time to get a third party involved, like a therapist or a coach, because someone who's going to give you perspective on that, just to validate the need and then help you formulate a way to handle it. Awesome. Yeah, all of this. I mean, there were so I hadn't heard exactly the, the tools that Marlena uses around around conversations. And I think they're amazing. So like if this is an area that you struggle with, just kind of go through this with a fine tooth comb and find what is going to really work for you. Um, some people get into the conversation too soon before they really thought about it. Other people really ruminate on something for a long time before they bring it up and they let it go too long so that that middle ground is really important and where you fall on that determines like what kind of skills you need to add in order to have those hard conversations at the right time yeah. absolutely mm -hmm. great great advice and, and for my neurodivergent folks out there these same things apply. Um, it just, our world looks a little different. We act a little differently in it, but this is a great way to, to converse and see how our needs can be met, uh, to make sure that we're talking to people, to make sure that we are socially connecting in a way that, that is advantageous, but also one that protects us and protects who we are. Um, and I think this all applies uh, very directly too. So I appreciate both of you um, and just all the awesome wisdom you bring. Um, so you're a gem to work with every week. Uh, and we'll do that again next week, unless we have a better offer. One of us wins the lottery. No, if one of us wins the lottery, we'll probably do this. But um, so I appreciate, uh, again, both of you. Um, if uh, anybody's listening and you feel like this is something beneficial for a friend uh, or, or coworker, whatever it may be, make sure that you like, share, uh, subscribe uh, to keep these updates going. We're here every week to bring this. Um, and I would say even if you have a, something specific that came up today, we would love to hear that. If you, you know, need us to negotiate um, whatever it is, the toilet paper conversation, you know, which way the toilet papers hangs or whatever it is, uh, let us know that. Um, and, and I think we'd be happy to field that here uh, on a call as well. So feel free to bring those. And otherwise, uh, thank you both. And we'll see everybody, hear from everybody next week. Take care.